Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Johnny, and welcome to episode 59 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Phil Bordeaux uh, from hammocuniverse.com. Hi, Johnny. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, cool. I'm really glad you're you're on, uh, especially because you have a really good, cool story about your e-commerce store, and it's nice to have someone who openly talks about their niche and how they kind of went from a dropshipping store now to a full-blown e-commerce store where you manufacture your own products. Uh, so I definitely want to ask you about that. Uh, but first, how did we meet? Um, yeah. Well, I was here in Chiang Mai uh, in the spring. Um, actually, I think it was about February when I started talking to some of the local guys here. Uh, I was working mostly out of uh, Coffee Monster at the time. And one guy, when he found out that I was doing e-commerce uh, fairly successfully, uh, actually mentioned you. And okay, he said, cool. there's this guy you need to meet. Uh, he's doing really well as well. And uh, why don't you meet him? So I think I sent you an email. We met for lunch. Yeah, I remember that. I think we met the salad concept. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which was, is basically the, the salad spot that entrepreneurs love going when they first get here because you can, you know, pick and choose whatever you want and you can have bacon or chicken or whatever you want it. And the only reason why I don't go there anymore is I started going there every day for lunch for weeks on end and I'm just sick of it now. I'm actually laughing. It's funny that you say that. I was just thinking that today. Uh, I had lunch there today and I've, I have lunch there maybe two or three times a week and I, I have to find some alternatives because it's just too much. Yeah. And I think when you first get here, you know, you kind of want to break up the Thai food and have like more of a Western palate. But now that I've been here a while, I really, I really love Thai food and I, I'm okay with eating it all the time now. Mm. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the Thai food as well. But I'll, I'll, as you say, after three or four days of uh, purely and only Thai food, uh, I need a big steak or something. And, and we were just talking about where Philip can, could, can get a steak. So you have a kitchen in your new place? I don't, I don't. I bought one of these, uh, these elements uh, so I can uh, pan fry stuff. Okay. I, I really don't do it very often, but I don't have a fully functional kitchen though. Well, you know what's cool about being out here is people kind of, you can almost build your own little mini kitchen with one of these little burner elements and you can get like a little toaster oven even to finish your steak. And if it's just you cooking for yourself, it's fine. Um, so for me, I have like a little tiny convention oven in the corner. It's like, a, yeah. it's like basically a toaster oven, but if you're just cooking for yourself, you can absolutely make a steak out here. and. What's cool about Chiang Mai is they actually have um, subsidized steak that I just told Philip about. At CMU is the Chiang Mai University. They sell um, you know, their local grass-fed steaks for super cheap. So it's absolutely easy to eat healthy here. Uh, and like last week's episode was with Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Executive. So if you're on a, a diet like that or a paleo diet, you can absolutely eat healthy here. And it's cheap, right? It is quite cheap, and the longer you're here, the more people you speak to, the more you start figuring this stuff out. Uh, you start getting the uh, your uh, re the regular spots that you like to go to, and uh, yeah, it becomes very easy. You know, you actually kind of look like a like a young Dave Asprey. <laughs> is, is, is that a good thing? What does he look like? You know, is uh, he attractive? Yeah, <laughs> handsome man, well built, six pack. So, and uh, we'll make sure to put, put put a photo side by side photo of you on this episode, which is 59, and you're also from Canada. Uh, so Dave actually lives on Vancouver Island. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been out there. Uh, I have once. Oh, yeah? How was it? Uh, it was quite amazing. I wasn't there uh, long enough to really give it a good... Uh, I'd have to be there longer to really judge, but the, the couple of days I was there, it's a beautiful place. 
Okay, Every, so everybody's very active there. Yeah. Very active city. I can imagine that. And uh, so starting a, I guess, an e-commerce store from Canada, was there any specific challenges? And did you did you know right away that you wanted to sell it to Canadians, or did you did you first think you know maybe I should go into the American market? I think it was the American market at first. Oh, I, okay. I was more focused on so it's it's such a big market um, now. <laughs> Were there challenges? I, 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 we don't have enough time in an hour to uh, start going <laughs> over all of the challenges there were over the years. I've been doing this a long time. We actually launched uh, in late uh, 2001. And what this e-commerce thing was for me at the beginning was just kind of a hobby. Oh, really? Okay. So I worked, you know, nine to five in a, a regular office job. Just started this thing for fun. And it, it kind of snowballed over the years to the point where <clears throat> I was busy enough that I, I brought in a business partner and my business partner uh, started taking care of a lot of things that were taking up a lot of my time and preventing me from doing the things that uh, grow the business, the things that I'm good at. And uh, so I've had a business partner on board now for the last five years. And uh, since he's come on board, uh, growth has really uh, been a lot stronger. And was was he a friend or how did you meet this guy? I, I, he's both. He's And he still is a friend. Mm. And I was working with him actually in the same office Oh, okay. Uh, back in Ottawa. So, and then did you just go out to him one day and say, "Hey, I have the store"? I mean, was it, it was it up and running by then, or yeah, it was up and running and selling. And uh, we we actually it's a funny little story. We started a, a different niche. Uh, we started selling <coughs> together uh, Inuit art in okay. Canada. So the natives in Canada, the they, you know, Inuits have these beautiful uh, soapstone carvings that they make. These are very expensive items. Like uh, uh, you know, they could be two, three, four, five thousand dollars a piece. And so we whipped up a website and started doing that together. And we worked so well together that I said, hey, why don't you join what's sort of making a lot more money right now, mm-hmm. Hammock Universe, and let's let's just go 50-50. Oh, that's very cool. So what, is, what are his day-to-day responsibilities and what are yours? So he's kind of the operational guy. Um, he's in Canada. Unfortunately for uh, him, he can't, he can't live this traveling sort of lifestyle. He can't just work from anywhere because he's got a family. Uh, back home. So he takes care of the operational stuff. He does uh, the bookkeeping for the business. Uh, he does a lot of the, uh, he's on Canadian time, so we get most of the chats come in during the times that he's actually awake. So he'll do the, a lot of the live chat, um, a lot of the customer service by phone as well. Uh, and he takes care of the logistics. So we uh, import our products from China, uh, which can be a big job, just figuring out the inventory, how much to order, you know, taking care of all of that. So I can imagine, but when you first started, it started as a dropshipping store? It was, it was. Okay. That's, that's what I find so interesting around here. I see everybody, you know, getting into this dropshipping business. And, and yeah, I, I, I did it for, for a few years. And for us, the next logical step was, um, I, I, I got tired of selling somebody else's brand. Mm-hmm. And so we made those contacts, flew to China, didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest. Just kind of stepped off a plane, <laughs> uh, met one of our hosts, you know. He took us into this factory, and um, I, I just remember thinking, wow, we're way too small to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were making products with uh, Walmart tags, a Bed Bath and & Beyond, and, and, and these orders were massive. I could see the amount of inventory on the floor. Wow. And, uh, you know, they're giving us a tour of this factory. <laughs> I, I thought, geez, when we tell them how many we want, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just not even going to want to talk to us. So what, do you remember how small or big your first order was? Um, yeah, I remember sitting down after one of these tours, and uh, it, it, for one of the hammock stands, he, they'd sat down. We 
you know, served us some tea, and then I guess the sort of negotiation begins. They wanted to see how serious we were. Um, and I think we mentioned that we wanted to order like 700 of these stands or something, and they, they I don't remember how much they wholesaled for, maybe, you know, 25, 30 bucks a piece or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember the guy, like, th- there was a moment of laughter. <laughs> but, yes, you, but it wasn't, no, it no. wasn't malicious, but uh, the, it, was, it was quite small compared to what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, we've built those relationships over the years, and we've increased our volume since then. And you were the same manufacturer still? Some of them. Okay. Yeah, some of them. We deal with three or four different uh, manufacturers at any time. And is that to diversify, just kind of save your butt just in case, or were some not able to to build certain things? Yeah, it's more along those lines. Some are very good at certain things, and when you you, uh, have a lot of SKUs, Mm -hmm. you you definitely want to go to the source, the the, the one that's a specialist in a certain type of product. Okay. We have less... um, One of the biggest issues becomes quality control. Mm -hmm. And, and, and at this point, uh, it's all about managing that quality control. And when you go to the manufacturer that's, that's you know, been making that same product for 20 years, and you could avoid a lot of those problems. That makes sense. And for those who don't know those terms, uh, SKU or SKU is a stock keeping unit, and it just means like a different variety of product. Right. The amount of products that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. So it's cool knowing that. You know, someone could start out with a dropshipping store and then decide, hey, you know, this is working. You know, these products are obviously selling. I have the website up and running. Now all I have to do is, you know, fly to China or maybe even look on Alibaba and start importing it. I think that's what was great about the experience is once you have your dropshipping store up, running, converting, you've learned how to run the store. Mm-hmm. And the transition into making that product your own is not that difficult. So once you started importing your own products, did you keep the the other brand on there as well or did you just phase them out at first we did so we had some brands from uh different hammock manufacturers and and then we start we imported most of them ourselves and so we slowly moved away from others and just figured that we just want to brand our own okay and i'm sure your profits went up a lot It, it, it was you know john it was one of these these big moves that you make in business that was completely transformative and I, I, I think that these things that you do, and there's, you know, I could think of three or four of them in the history of our business, are the ones that keep you up at night, okay. and, and you're not sure if you're going to have a business the next day. Mm-hmm. And they're usually the ones, well, they're definitely the ones that make the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. And in our experience, they've always worked out. Very cool. I'm glad they worked out. What, what are the other ones? So the, fir- the first is deciding to, to start, you know, manufacturing your own, your own brand. Yeah. What else were there? One there? of them for me was bringing on a business partner. You mm-hmm. know, you always think you can do everything yourself and you could do things better yourself. At one point, you have to let go of some of that and have some trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's worked out as well. Some of them were um, switching platforms. Mm. So we're all on Shopify now. Mm-hmm. I'm on Shopify as well. Yep. Um, but I've, you know, we've gone through the gamut. We used to be on Magento. Mm-hmm. Uh, before Magento, we were on this system called KubeCart. Before KubeCart, I had my own custom designed sites. Mm-hmm. What happens is every time you switch platforms to a completely different system, different site, um, it, it's, it's almost a new business. You're not yep. sure how Google's going to react. Mm-hmm. A lot of our uh, sales comes from organic traffic from Google. Mm-hmm. So I've always been freaked out about losing a lot of my rank yep. uh, every time I've done that. And has that been the case or not? Never. Wow. Okay. Never. It's always been an improvement. You know, I think actually Google just likes seeing that you're doing stuff. You know, especially with the e-commerce stores. I almost feel like they they put us in a separate category. And they're like, these guys are e-commerce stores. They're selling physical goods. 
if as long as they're updating and adding new products or just making changes, you know, they're they are in business still. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think one of the worst things that can happen to a Google searcher is going to a website that no longer exists or hasn't been updated since you know 2004. Yeah, and that that's pretty bad, as you know, I'm sure. Um, more and more, Google is is has been moving away from the traditional SEO model that we know where you stuff a bunch of keywords on a page and you put a you know you put your keywords in the h1 tag and there's all these an- these anchor te- these anchor text links that you can get these backlinks now it's all about how users react to your to your website mm. and that's how google judges the quality of a certain page so of course you know somebody hits a hits an error page boom they're gone yeah. it's it's a bounce uh, so you want to have good quality content that is well related to the search terms that people are going to use to find your site. So do you do any active SEO work or is, is, did you just kind of leave that up? I, I did. I've had phases. Um, I've really been on cruise control on that for like okay. a year. Uh, our site naturally performs pretty well mm-hmm. with, the, uh, with, with the key metrics. So we, we do pretty well on, on SEO. And I, I used to do, I've had phases where I did a lot of it. Um, and every time it's been a worthwhile exercise. In fact, it's on my list of to-dos. Um, I, I've used Moz.com okay. before, which is a, a nice software. Mm-hmm. Um, it fixed the internal stuff on my website, and uh, that's something I'm going to do in the future as well. That's cool. So you started selling in the U.S. market, and then did you focus on just Canada for a while? Or like, how, you know, did you do both, or how did that work? Yeah, well... I was selling to both, um, and you know, sales from the United States sort of trickled in. But what happened is our site ranked really well for Canada because mm-hmm. you know, in the Webmaster Tools and everything, you tell Google you're a Canadian site, and when Canadians figured out we were Canadian, I mean, they're kind of over the moon because it's a less competitive market, and they don't mm-hmm. want to do any cross-border shipping. So it became more of a Canadian-centric site. So what we've done now, uh, what we did last year is we launched an American site, HammockUniverseUSA.com, and uh, what happened. Uh, what happened there? So we did it for uh, SEO reasons, and now we're um, also warehousing products in the states, mm-hmm. so they could get um, they could get their products a lot quicker, and they don't have to deal with the, the cross border stuff. That's cool. So, do people still, you know, do American companies or customers still find the original HammockUniversity.com, and or? or or do they kind of just know to go to the Hammock University USA? Because that seems to be both. Both you, Hammock University USA is actually picking up some steam now. I haven't really done much to it, to be honest. And again, that's on my list of eternal to dos is to really optimize that that part of the business. But it's it's been picking up a lot of steam. Uh, so it's now ranked. Uh, some of the pages are now well ranked on Google. So so the Americans are hitting the American store. The Canadians are hitting the Canadian store. That's the ideal scenario. And why didn't you choose like dot com dot ca or whatever whatever the uh, domain some, is? Some bastard stole hammockuniverse.ca. Oh okay, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. And he had that bef- like before you started, or yeah, I don't remember when. It happened. I guess it, it, it kind of slipped. I, I, I think I owned it for a couple of years, and then I, I just didn't bother, and somebody picked it up. And then when I went to use it again, um, I didn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, you know, it, 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 I, I did consider doing that for SEO purposes because mm-hmm. I think Google does allocate some uh, some weight uh, based on based on the .ca or .com. But, you know, what we've done now has worked out just fine yeah at the end of the day the, the dot com is still better I mean it's always going to be better than, than the dot ca I think the dot ca is good if you are just starting out yeah. and you're like okay I, I just want to focus on Canadian customers and yeah. and I don't want to have too much competition but now that you've been in the, in the 
in the game for so long, then having the dot com is still a hundred times better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It uh, it screams uh, a bigger business, global business. Uh, maybe inspires more confidence. Yeah, and that's why when I set up my my stores, I always buy the dot com, even if it has to be a, a longer dot com name. Uh, I I'd still rather have that than a dot biz or dot right. net or dot info or anything. Right. And you know, and that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, beachfront property is always going to be worth more than you know that inland. Yeah, whether we want it or not, a premium's been associated to those dot coms, and, and that's just the way it is, isn't it? Yep. So, um, if you were to get, if you were going to start all over again, uh, would you st- still start with dropshipping first, or would you have gone straight into importing? Well, I, I think you you almost have to. I, I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the 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 challenge with branding is is you need a big chunk of change to buy inventory. And you can't just buy a little bit of inventory and run out after a month and then have to take another uh, two months to get the, the thing manufactured and shipped over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some planning involved. So what we did is we, I mean, we, how do we swing it again? We had, a, we had some reserves. I think we had, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 or something we went in with. And we, there was a, a deal going on in Canada with one of the banks at the time. They had 0%. Uh, they had these checks that they'd write for zero mm-hmm. percent, but you had to pay the money back within six months. Okay, nice. Uh, so we, we did that in the spring before busy season. We both mm-hmm. loaded up uh, with these checks, and we were able to afford uh, afford our inventory for the whole year that way. And now we're in a, a nice position where uh, we do have the cash reserves every year to buy the inventory for the whole year. We don't have to borrow to buy that inventory. But definitely at the beginning, the dropship is is what allowed us to build the capital. And I told everyone the same thing. Even if they know they want to manufacture, why not start with a dropshipping store? Because it doesn't cost anything. You could still manufacture. You could still do the research for it while making money testing it. Absolutely. Instead of losing money testing a new new website or a new product, why not make money testing it? And if anything, you gain valuable insights doing it. Absolutely. You learn the ins and outs of of how to run a web store in every different facet of the business. And once the concept is proven, then the next logical step is, of course, to brand out. Yeah, 100%. So I like that. How did you first learn to set up your store? It sounds like you, you know, you did a lot of trial and error, switching platforms multiple times, and I'm sure each time of that was a huge headache. Every time, <laughs> every time. <laughs> how, so, how did you figure this stuff out? How did you start? Well, you know, when I started, Johnny, the the, the Shopify's of the world weren't around. Yep. I I had a uh, website custom designed on front page. I did a lot of it myself, and I had a. Thankfully, at the time, I had a girlfriend that was a web designer, mm-hmm. so she helped out with a lot of the stuff, and and. I just sort of whipped this this custom design. It had no back end, mm-hmm. you know. I, I whipped it together. I use this uh, company called Internet Secure or something like that okay. to do my processing. It used to take like a massive percentage of my sales. It was crazy, uh, but I got a few sales off that site, uh-huh. and that kept me going. That was a horrible website, and slowly things progressed in the world of e-commerce where you had these um, these these uh, shopping carts show up. Mm-hmm. I think you had Miva, which was one of the first ones. Um, you had, uh, you know, all the OS commerce and the preloaded mm. and all of those things. And, you know, you work, I remember working with those for hours and hours just trying to figure everything out. They were so complex. Um, uh, but, you know, got them figured out. So I'm sitting here nodding my head like I know what he's talking about. I've never, never even heard of any of these <laughs> <laughs> terms. It's like cards. old school. <laughs> well, all right. So I'm sure you're going to agree, but Josh, starting a, a store, especially a Josh from store, is many times easier now than it would have been. 
it, 10, 10 years ago. It's so amazingly easy, and people using Shopify should realize how easy they have it. Shopify's done a really good job at making things so simple. Yeah, and it's, you know, even though it sucks to have to pay them every month, I'd much rather pay them 30 bucks or 80 bucks a month and have them deal with all that stuff than, than me. And the reason why I've never heard of these other shopping cart terms before is, like, when, so when I started, Shopify was literally the only thing I heard of, you know, and in, like in Anton's course, he said, okay, look, guys, I've tried every other one. I've chosen Shopify. I suggest you do the same. Ah. So I didn't even look at anything else. I just said, okay, well, if you, this guy recommends this, I'm just going to use Shopify. Yeah. And I don't really care why, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, what the pros and cons are of the other ones. I'm just going to use it, and it's been fine. Well, you chose, the, you got lucky. You, you chose the right one right off the bat. That, that, that's for darn sure. Well, what's nice is, is it wasn't that I chose it. It was, you know, someone else basically in your sh- kind of like in your shoes, went through all that. He started right. store. He, I think he had a Yahoo store before. He had um, a WooCommerce. He had a big commerce store. And he so he did all that. He did, uh-huh. Just like you, you know, he changed back and forth and then he settled with Shopify. So, you know, it was that experience where if, as long as you, you know, listen to this guy because he's done it or listen to you yeah. who's yeah. done it, yeah. it saves us so much time. Yeah. I, was, I, I spoke to Anton and, and uh, he said the same thing. He used to be on a different system. Uh, Magento as well, I believe. Oh, wow. And I remember being on that, when, when our websites were on that system, uh, having a local uh, programmer in Ottawa that I, I, I used to Google chat with him every day. And he must have had to work with us three or four hours a day on that way. It was crazy the amount of maintenance, the amount of bugs, uh, the amount of things that would break on the site. And you know, then my, then my brother, actually, this is the reason I got into Shopify in the first place. My, uh, they're actually from Ottawa, from mm-hmm. the city, which I'm from. And my brother got a job with him. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, and he started, uh, you know, talking to me about the Shopify models. I met some of the guys at Shopify, and uh, I, I figured out that it was like a match made in heaven. So then we had another one of these big switches from Magento to Shopify. So we talk about Shopify a lot. I actually have nothing to do with Shopify. We just we, <laughs> we just really like them. But they actually are a, a sponsor of the show now. Uh, and they give everyone 20% off for life, which I'm sure you would have loved to have used as well. Because if you can get 20% off your bill now, it would be awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I can't get 20% off my bill now either. So I actually pay the full amount. I pay 80 bucks a month. Uh, and, but if you're starting a new store, you can use the link. It's under the recommended resources page of Travel Like a Boss podcast and, and on johnnyfd.com. For all this promotion, Johnny, I think they should give you all the stores you want for free for the I, rest of your life. Come I on. <laughs> Come on. Give them a call. But I did. I've actually hounded them saying, like, look, I, you know, I sent so many people to use your service. And they basically responded saying, look, you know, you're, I, I, we, we could see how much money you're making with your store. <laughs> Why are you trying to save 80 bucks a month? You know, you're, you're sending like $30,000 worth of revenue through, through your stores. So I'm sure you're happy with, with your, this, your Shopify experience. And then I'm like, at the end of the day, I'd much rather make money from my actual e-commerce store than save 80 bucks. Yeah, right. Uh, so hammocuniverse.com, if you guys want to check it out, it's, you, you know, basically make some really cool looking hammocks. Uh, how did you think of this, this niche? Yeah, everybody asked me that. And it's way back in the day, I, I was actually looking for a hammock in my city and I couldn't really find a like a good, comfortable hammock that was cheap enough that I, I could afford, really. And, it, and I got looking online and one of the things that popped up was uh, this wholesaler out of Mexico who, he was a Mexican guy, uh, but he hired these um, these villagers to weave these like Mayan-style hammocks. Mm-hmm. And I saw how cheap he was selling them. And I... I I compared that to the price he was selling for that I'd seen elsewhere, and mm-hmm. I, 
and the light just went off. Got my ex-girlfriend to help design a website, um, and it just all went off from there. You know, I, th- I think the most successful niches and website businesses have similar stories where you personally were trying to buy something and it was a pain in the butt. So, yeah. you know, you decided, hey, why not Why not make it easier for everyone else? You know, I've already been through the research myself. You know, it, I almost couldn't find it. Uh, so why not make it easier for everyone? And that's the same thing I do for all my businesses. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 even to, to today, you can you can do two routes. You know, you can either do your research and kind of just, you know, think of a hundred different things that might fit that criteria and do your research to see, hey, is this going to sell or not? Or you could just think of the things that you've personally bought or yeah. that, you know, you can kind of help out other people with. Uh, and then you can just, you know, do a quick look. I would still suggest people do a little bit of research and see what your competitors are like and, you know, if it's, um, you know, if it's even feasible selling online. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you actually know something about the product, you know, you have some skin in the game, mm-hmm. I think it does sell a lot, a lot better. I agree. I agree. And I think these days, with the emergence of e-commerce in the last years, like, everything sells. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's almost like no matter what you decide to sell these days, there is going to be some competition. There, mm-hmm. There's nothing that's a complete virgin market out there. Um, so it just comes down to doing things better, smarter, uh, more efficiently than the competition, I think. Well, you know what's actually cool is there are so many different products out there in the world that, and the way I think of it is, if somebody's making money selling it, why not you? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about the actual direct competition, so uh, me and Larissa have started a new store. Uh, we we're trying to get it up and running within thirty days, and we're about twenty days into it. So, if you guys keep an eye out on my blog, Johnny FD, we, we we've been posting every week on our updates. And the niche that, that we chose is something that doesn't have any other dropshipping stores out there. So it's actually kind of against uh, what Anton recommends for your first store. In his course, he talks about how you want to, you actually want other dropshipping stores out there because that shows that, first off, it's making money. And then second, that these suppliers and manufacturers are actually approving uh, dropshipping-only stores and not just big retail locations like, mm. you know, Dick's Sporting Goods stores or, you know, these, uh, like a Target, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I was actually kind of surprised that there weren't that many dropshipping stores for our niche. And it just kind of shows that there are still the untapped markets out there. Uh, but you just have to kind of think outside the box. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any magical selection. Everyone always thinks, you know, it's, um, you have to know, you have to know like Google keyword planner or you need to know these like crazy algorithms. Uh-huh. I literally just asked, you know, people I talked, you know, friends. I'm saying, hey, uh, you know, what have you bought online recently? Or, you know, what, what would you suggest? And you get a lot of bad ideas, and a lot of some, you get mm-hmm. some good ones. <laughs> How long did it take you before you the Eureka moment went off, and you actually found this product? Uh, so, I you know I haven't built a new store in a while, just because I've been kind of coasting off my existing stores. But I already I keep niches in the back of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think it was it was a friend. We just had dinner uh, a few months ago, and he was, you know, he had I think he had just mentioned he's like, you know what you should sell you should sell you know. XYZ and usually it's the terrible ideas you know <laughs> usually people tell you you know you should sell baby powder online you know or something uh, but I always keep you know open ear and sometimes you're like oh you know what maybe that would do well and uh, I don't get too overly excited about it because I want to do my research about it first and I think that's the other part that kind of messes people up where they get so 
attached to an idea even before they do the research on it. You know, like if you're a musician and you're like, you know what, you know what's gonna sell so well is you know musical instruments and or like a very specific part of it, and they haven't even looked to see what the competition is. Yeah. They haven't looked to see you know what the you know what the kind of you know what's out there, yeah. and they're so focused on just having that work that they don't even look anywhere else. Yeah. So what I do instead is I really try to keep an open mind. Yeah. The the, the I, I'm not sure you probably watched Shark Tank, the mm-hmm. TV show. Love it. That's what made me realize how emotionally attached people get to their businesses and products too much so mm-hmm. uh, when you know oftentimes they'll make a presentation everybody will tell them how much of a stupid idea it is yeah you know they've lost their they've remortgaged their house or whatever and every time in the in a in a post interview they'll they'll say that no way they're going to give out this idea the dragons are wrong yeah. and, and they're just going to continue and they're, they're like losing all of their money i know and you know what hard work and dedication does pay off if you kind of have the right uh thing but what i would say is if you think it's gonna work, start making money with it today. Start, you know, start testing it today. And that's why I like the dropship model is if you, you know, even if you kind of pick a stupid niche, you're probably not gonna invest that much time or money into it until you realize, hey, it's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. Because, you, you know, but if you design something completely brand new and start importing and you have to, you know, you, then you have to mortgage your house to get the inventory and then you find out it doesn't yeah. work, then you, you're screwed. Yeah. And I feel bad for those people. Yeah. And the nice thing, as you say about the dropship model, now is there's not a lot of capital that's actually required. You don't mm-hmm. have to buy the inventory. You just have to whip up a, a store which costs you uh, peanuts, really. Yep. Um, and we've done that through the years. You know, we, we launched, at one point, we actually rebranded mm-hmm. into um, a site called Trika.com. Mm-hmm. And we were selling all these, these luxury products on there, uh, like these beautiful uh, water features you know, these water fountains and stuff. Okay. Um, and, and although there was a little bit of momentum, uh, we U turned off that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a few months to realize, hey, wait a minute. The, we went from a, a very strong brand that's mm-hmm. getting organic searches left, right, and center to, you know, a new brand where we're trying to sell five different products. We're not as niche, uh, this and that. And you, I, I think you make those mistakes, you know, through the years. And, um, so that was about three, four years ago. We U-turned, and I'm happy that we did. And how much you know, money did you actually have to invest to start that up? Uh, at the beginning, we were just testing the product. So we mm-hmm. did the same thing you would do. We'd call the manufacturers and, and just get on their, on their uh, supplier list mm-hmm. and just sell through our website. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't load up on inventory, but the plan was that we would, we would, uh, the things that would sell, we would buy direct from China. Eventually, so super smart. You know, you, you can learn from your own lessons and said, you know what? Why not have someone else take the risk? <laughs> yeah, and then test it, see if see if people want to buy it. Because the thing is, you never know what's going, what people are actually going to buy, and yeah. you never know what kind of weird question to return you you know you might get for something. Right. So you might as well test it with someone else's product first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a huge fan of the of this model. Um, so I was looking at your site earlier, and I I could see why it does well. You know, it has great design, you know, great layout, um, you know, beautiful photos, and even little touches like having the phone number, uh, you know, right up top so people can see, hey, we care about customer service, and it's easy to contact us. I mean, how many calls do you actually get a day? A blessing and a curse, Johnny. Okay. It's also a curse. Is it? <clears throat> I mean, I guess it, it's a nice problem to have, mm-hmm. but we get too many people calling us. Uh, we get... Too many people using the live chat as mm-hmm. well. What you try to do is you try to minimize that through, you know, a, a proper frequently asked questions section, and you try to answer all the questions in the product specs. But there's a there's a large percentage of people still these days that want to hear a human voice to reassure them before they go through with the conversion. And we haven't been able. I've wanted to 
um, remove these aspects from the site and have it be totally passive, not have to answer the phone, not have to worry about the live chat. But what we've realized is the, the, the level of conversions is so high off both, both of those mediums that we can't. Yep. We can't get rid of them. Yeah, and so... And outsourcing is, is scares the daylights out of me. I've got like a lot of SKUs. You yeah. need to know your stuff. You have to know your products. And I think that actually the easiest way wouldn't be to outsource it. It actually would be to hire a kind of a lower paid employee to do stuff like that. You know, you, you mentioned that that's what you do, right? How's that? How does that work out for you? It's, what's been your experience? Yeah. So if we were, if we were bigger, uh, I would probably would love to have someone just full times working for me. But what I actually did was I went on old desk and a lot of these other freelance sites. And I just, I, you know, I just hired someone to do my customer service, but my whole plan you know, for that was to make them into an employee, like a part-time employee and say, I want you to working, you know, two hours a day, but be on, you know, be available on call uh, eight hours a day. And in the beginning, it didn't work out that well. I think I went through two different people that, you know, kind of just dropped the ball. Um, but then what I decided was like, you know what, let me find someone who doesn't really need my money that is already working online and is already, you know, making, you know, making money online, uh, doing other things, um, but just happens to be near a phone all day. <laughs> so I found a guy who does, I think he does like copywriting or something uh, for other e-commerce stores. So he's, you know, at his computer anyways, just, you know, he's writing all the time. And now I pay him 180 bucks a month. And he answers my calls whenever they come in. Uh, and he does a little bit of, you know, follow up, uh, a little bit of email, but that's really it. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have that much responsibility. And, and, you know, realistically, we only get a couple calls a day because mm. with our higher price items, we only need to sell one or two items sure. a day, sure. which means we only get two or three calls a day. Sure. Uh, like how many calls are you actually getting a day? I mean, in, in the summer period, it could be it could be 20, 25 easy. Okay. Uh, we have the 1-800 number as well. That since it's free, it encourages people to call a lot more. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> again, a blessing and a curse. Well, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 a day or so. So, you know, I think with 20, 25 a day, I would actually hire someone. I would yeah. find like a college junior or someone. It's again one of the things we've discussed a lot, and I agree with you. Uh, we, we, we should find someone. Uh, it's that it's having that confidence to... Uh, you know, off those 25 calls a day, there's a huge number of conversions there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it comes from uh, inspiring a lot of confidence in the customer by, uh, by answering questions in a very detailed way. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, it's something that is actually on my marketing list to do to properly outsource. Uh, we talk about it all the time. Uh, just got to get to it. So, so your business partner, does he work out of his home or does he work out of, uh, I mean, does he work out of an office? Yeah, we used to have an office in a warehouse mm -hmm. when we, we shipped our own products, but now he, he works out of home. And would he be comfortable having an intern or employee there? I'm sure he would. Yeah, I, th I think that'd be the easiest way yeah. is to have him, you know, just right next to him. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, clearly you figured it out. Mm -hmm. You and, and what I like about your situation is you went through two people before you found somebody that worked out mm -hmm. better. Yep. Um, and that's the difference, I think, between success and failure. See, you, you know, you didn't just throw your hands up and say, boy, this, this is this is a shitty way to go about things. I'm, I'm going to do my own customer. So you yeah. kept trying and then you figured it out. I think the reason why I that happened is because I had to because there's no way I can answer U.S. calls while being in Thailand. From here, of course. Because the, the time difference is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, I'd have to be up from 9 p.m. till 
8 a.m. Yeah. answering my own calls. There's no way I'm going to do that. You know, yeah. I'm not a night owl. You know, I work better during the day. I like, you know, getting normal sleep, having a normal life. So I did that when I when I started. When I started my store a year and a half ago, I had my phone ring on through my Skype. And I would pick it up at 3 in the morning if I had to. And I would force... That's, that's really intense. I forced myself to, fee, you know, to be chirpy and like say, hey, you know, uh, thanks for calling. What can I help you with? Good morning. Or, you know, and it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you want it bad enough, uh, you, you'll do it. But I wouldn't encourage you to do that forever. Just do it, in, you know, until you can afford to start paying someone. And $180 yeah. a month really isn't that much. But it's another perfect example, I think, the fact you were willing to get up at three in the morning, do this stuff. And I... You know, there's some examples in the past in my business as well. Is it, it, that's an important message to put out there as well. You know, these, these guys in Chiang Mai, there's a lot of them opening new stores. Mm. And, and it is a great journey, but, but it's also a, a tough one. And these, are, these are the things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, answer a phone call, and it's pretty intense. Well, even with our new store, uh, so me and Larissa have been staying up until... I mean, okay, it's not 3 in the morning, but it's, we've been staying up till midnight, which for us is late because we, we're normally in bed by 10. And it's not even the midnight thing. It's that I like to unwind and just kind of just, you know, read a book, maybe watch some TV uh, at night. And I don't want to be on my laptop and, you know, I don't want to call suppliers at 11 p.m. or at midnight. But because we're opening a new store, you know, I sucked it up. We had to do it. And honestly, it was tough. It was very tough, especially because the excuses pop up. Last week was American Thanksgiving. And right after that was Black Friday and then Cyber Monday. And I just kept saying, you know, oh, this is not a good time to call because, you know, they're busy, they're fulfilling orders, they're on holiday, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then on Tuesday night, you know, we went to watch the Hunger Games and we were going to call afterwards, but I was so tired. I wasn't in the mood. I was like, you know what, you know, let's not do this today. And then on Wednesday, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. But I knew that the longer I put it off and the more excuses we had, you know, it would just never get done. And I think, thank goodness that we, I announced this 30 day challenge that everyone's following and expecting me to do well, or I wouldn't have done it. I would just been, I would have kept putting it off. So I, starting at 9 PM, I started calling the people on the East coast uh, just because the time difference is a little bit better. And luckily, you know, we just by following through and following through and following through and pushing myself, we are now approved by five suppliers. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the store is now going to be, you know, up and running 100%. Our ads are going to start running. So hopefully by by this time next week, we're going to start making sales. Oh, that's great. You set that up. How much time did that take you? Three weeks? Sorry. Yeah, so it's been three weeks. Uh, and the thing is, you know, we even though we've been doing it for three weeks, Every day, the first four hours of the day, we're still running my my other store, and you know we're still doing other things. I, I'm still recording podcasts. I'm still blogging. I'm still doing other things. So even though it feels, I can't believe the amount of things you do. It's insane, right? It's, I, I, you know, God bless you. I would never get involved in, in in a lot of things, you know, because I would be too distracted. I would be thinking about Project C when I'm, I'm working on Project A. But God bless you. It's not. It's definitely not the smartest thing to do, to be honest. If I just focused 100 percent on my my Josh Irving stores, I would actually make more money than I do now. But I don't like doing that because I get bored. Right. And I think I just have the personality where I like doing other things. Yeah. Uh, like I spend a lot of time promoting my book, even though for my income, it's the smallest part of my income. <laughs> I would say my, so, you know, promoting life changes quick makes me 10% of my overall monthly income, but I spend 80% of my day promoting sure. it <laughs> because I really want people to read this book. Sure. You know, uh, so, you know I, I noticed that in Chiang Mai. 
like a lot, just what you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, the I think entrepreneurs have a bit of an, uh, a lot of them have a very active brain. It's, it's sometimes a little bit ADD and they've got these, their hands and so many, they're so interested by so many things and have so many ideas. They're overflowing that they have their hands in so many pots. And in your case, you've, you've actually made it work. But, but I've seen it, it so only, many that start projects yeah, and then, and never then boom, finish it. they never finish. But I think it only worked because when I started, I started with one. So when I started, I just did. So, so when I, my first thing I made money with online is my first book, 12 Weeks in Thailand, mm -hmm. which was based off my Muay Thai blog. And when I was doing that, that was my sole focus. And when I started dropshipping, the first store, that was 100% of my focus for the first six months. Right. And it's not until I've you know become successful with that. And now it's a pretty much a semi-passive. It's not passive. Uh, I still work on it at least you know one or two hours a day. And if I want to grow it, I work on it you know up to four hours a day. But you know now I, I can afford this luxury of having extra time to do other things. But if you are not making money yet, and you don't you know and you can, and you're not you know. You know, basically, if you're not making enough where you can afford to to do other things, don't do other things. So sure. I would recommend that. Sure, I can I can definitely attest that in my situation, there, there's always so much to do mm -hmm. for for my business. And I, I recently got involved in in FBA as well, so that's taking up some of my time. But there's so many things to do on that list. It, it's a never-ending list of 50 things to do that. Um, that's what I need to focus on because if I was doing, you know, a, a, a couple of different things, I know myself, I would be too distracted. I'd be thinking about the other things while I'm doing the first thing. So I, I really need to focus on one thing at a time. So how is the Amazon FBA doing? Um, it, it's doing well. I actually um, just threw up uh, 100 products there oh, nice. just, just okay. to test um, and, and, they, and they sold out. Okay, uh, cool. So, th I mean, the nice thing, there, there's... There's advantages and disadvantages to everything, mm -hmm. yeah, I think. And so the advantages, in my opinion, of Amazon are that the the, the whole customer acquisition thing is, is is pretty much taken care of by them, which mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's what we have to work at, uh, like like dogs <laughs> in, a, in a Shopify business, you know. Um, that being said, there are disadvantages as well. The, the audience is very price conscious. Mm-hmm. You'd be competing with a hundred other merchants, no matter what you're doing. You have to invest a significant amount of uh, of money to get up and running to mm -hmm. get the inventory in there. And uh, Amazon take their cut. They take a big cut. And I think the scariest thing about it, well, for me, is that Amazon are God. You're playing in their sandbox, yep. and when the, the fees aren't going to go down anytime soon, mm -hmm. they are going to realize that hey, you know, there's a lot of people making a lot of money off FBA. There's a little bit more room to raise the fees here, and this mm -hmm. is this is going to happen, I think, a lot over the next few years. Who knows what FBA is going to look like in two, three years? That being said, you know, all the good, the fact they take away the uh, customer acquisition is huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, it can really be a, a nice passive income. Mm -hmm. I'm planning on sending in a, a lot more stock, that's for sure. So I think the w way that you're doing it is very, very smart because it doesn't hurt you at all to have your products selling on Amazon as well. And so FBAs are fulfilled by Amazon. We've talked about this in other episodes, but basically what Phil is doing is he's sending 100 or now probably a lot more of, uh, of his units to Amazon's warehouse uh, where they they keep it uh, they, you know, he puts the, the product on Amazon to sell, and if someone buys it, Amazon ships it out. They deal with the the shipping, they deal with the returns, they deal with the customer service, they deal with the calls, all that. They just take a big cut, which to you know a digital nomad is an awesome idea because that's extra money. Even though <clears throat> your percentage you might be making uh, profit is much lower than if you sold it yourself, also is the work. 
But I think what Phil's doing that's really good is he's also having that build his brand because a lot of people might go directly to his site to buy it instead. Or, you know, maybe not that person. Not, you know, that person might be a loyal Amazon customer. They might have Prime and they just, they just always buy from them. But when someone comes to their house, to, you know, to the backyard and they see, oh, wow, this is a beautiful hammock, you know, uh, who, you know, who makes it? Or they see the tag that says Hammock Universe, they will associate that name and they might come and buy directly from you. It's a it's a great way to put it, and you know, for for the longest time, I was thinking, geez, the, the I don't remember the percentage of Americans that buy on Amazon and only Amazon, but it's huge. You know, it's 20, 30 percent, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and that's a big piece of the pie that we were we were missing out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's good to be there now. Yeah, and you know, Amazon eventually will kind of screw themselves over. I, I really do think so. Do you? Yeah, because there's a lot of products that used to be cheaper on Amazon that act and now are actually a lot more expensive because I, I think they were actually losing money uh, selling on Amazon. I think they just kind of, in the beginning, they just really wanted everyone to buy everything on Amazon all the time. Uh, a good example is if you guys have Prime, which is the free two-day shipping, and often what you do is you'll search for products that are ships Prime only because you don't want to pay for shipping. You're so used to this two-day shipping. But I guarantee you if you search some of those products uh, and uncheck that that box, you'll see that it is actually much cheaper to buy it uh, without the free two-day shipping. You know, and just Interesting. and even if you just pay for shipping with it, or you know, get the standard shipping, or if you go off of Amazon and you just Google the product, uh, it's often cheaper there as well now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Amazon, what they've been doing has been very smart for them. Is they want to build their customer loyal customer base and get people on Prime. You know, they they lose money often shipping. You know, free and with you know free two-day shipping, but they know that that makes you um, a loyal customer. That you know, and that's their goal is for you to never even price compare anywhere else. Uh, so I think that's the only good thing about you know having our our own stores um, is eventually you know people will figure out, hey, you know what, you know it's not always the best deal going through Amazon, uh, and eventually they will kind of you know come straight back to you as well sure it's a great thing and it's a great protection mechanism for your brand and your business as well is uh is i think if all your eggs are in the amazon car, uh, cart there's a lot of risk involved there and i know some of the guys here in uh chiang mai that are doing very well on amazon and their next step is to build out a, a shopify store mm-hmm. uh, um, because of the fact that amazon could do anything at any time that could drastically affect their business yeah, and even though I'm on Shopify's platform, I own the domain, I own, you know, the back end of everything. I own all the, the customer lists. So what I do is I actually export my customer list pretty often. <laughs> so I have it on my own, you know, hard drive instead of having it just on Shopify. I don't think Shopify is going anywhere. They're they're a big company, but uh, if I ever needed to, I could, you know, just basically upload my theme, upload my customer list, export my my downloaded uh, list of products onto another platform or onto WordPress or my own, and I can have my store up and running within a week again. Yeah. So that's why I'm not scared to have my stuff on Shopify. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's still I still own all that stuff. Versus on Amazon, we don't own anything. Sure, there's a lot more control as well. You, you could build out the site the way you want to build it out. You just don't have just a static product page that Amazon force you to build a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Lots of advantages, I think, to having your own store as well. So even though you started out uh, as a Josh store, now you are basically a, a supplier, you're, you're a manufacturer. 
I'm curious, d- does anyone ever call you asking if they can resell your products? All the time. <laughs> yeah? You started a trend. Really? <laughs> we yes. actually get, you know, in the su- especially in the summer months, we get multiple, multiple emails or calls every day. But it hasn't been, I, I wish guys like you were, were involved with our products because you'd sell a lot of them. What you have is you, I think you have a lot of people just testing the waters. They'll throw up a website. They'll think it will come very easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then six months later, we just never hear from these guys again. So we, you know, there's a certain amount of time invested when they mm-hmm. first contact you. You know, we've got to, uh, from the supplier side, we've got to sort of teach them about our products a little bit. And they've always got a lot of questions. So there's a, there's a lot of time involved in the setup. And then if they don't sell, that time is wasted. Yeah. Um, so guys like you, I guess, if, if you're able to convince a supplier you've had previous successes mm-hmm. with other stores, that must go a long way. So now, like, when was the last time you actually approved a, another online store to sell your products? My business partner handles most of okay. that, but we it happens all the time. So, okay, so yeah. he still does approve people. Oh, yeah. That's cool. And so what are things that you look for? Um, I mean, I guess he'd be, he'd be better to, to ask about that, but you well, know... Well, we want to we see that somebody's going to sell, because if we're going to invest the time, we, we want sales to obviously come in. And it makes sense. So we, you, we, get, we get a sense, you know, in, in uh, telephone conversations, mm-hmm. see if they're serious about the whole thing, see what else they're selling. We ask them if they have a website. They've already got a website up. That, that would be huge. It shows that they're a little bit serious and they've, they've invested some time in this. And, you know, so the reason why I have a pretty good success rate with getting approved by suppliers, uh, so I, I might do this one day. It's just going to take so much time that I just... You know, I, I, I'm just unwilling to do it, to be honest. But Anton suggests, he's like, why don't you record all of your conversations with your suppliers? Uh, and then, you know, uh, and, you know, so people can listen to how hard you are hustling on the phone. And the reason why I'm not going to record it is because it's usually, you know, it's at like midnight. I'm so tired. The last thing I want to do is record <laughs> something. And second, a lot of times it's like spread out over five days. Like, so for some of my suppliers now for my new store, I started calling them before Thanksgiving uh, and they either didn't pick up um, or, you know, I talked to them and they said, okay, check back next week. And I literally have talked to them, you know, three, four, five days in a row. Even, you know, some of them will actually say, okay, yeah, no worries. I'll send you over an email, you know, email with the, with the application. And then I won't get it. So instead of emailing them, I call them again. And I think what happens is after they hear my voice three, four, five days in a row, <laughs> they start thinking, man, if this guy is calling us so often, following up so well, he must do that with his customers. You know, he must provide really good customer service if he's, you know, if he's this serious about sure. getting getting approved versus someone who's scared to even call the supplier in the first place uh, and just sends the email, you know, versus someone who doesn't even have a demo store up at all, sure. you know, doesn't have anything to show, you know, those people, I, if I was a supplier, I wouldn't approve them. Sure. Yeah. It goes, it shows that you go the extra mile for sure. That's yeah. An extra effort. And, and uh, you know, absolutely. And it's, it really doesn't take that much time to set up a demo store for us. It took, I think it took about, three days to get the basic store up and running. And then it took about five days to get, you know, to really get it fully functional where mm. 
you know, any supplier that I called that would look at our store would assume we've been in business for a long time and that we know what we were doing. Sure. And they could see like, okay, you know what? I can see my products selling well in here. And, you know, and that's why there's a whole module of Anton's course where he talks about how to set up, where he actually shows you step-by-step to a screencast on how to set up a demo store, how to make it look like you've been in business for a long time. Sure. You know, the key parts that, you know, that people look at, potential suppliers will look at to, to, so you can get approved. And I think a lot of people just starting out that they're afraid to even, you know, do the the ten dollar investment of buying a domain name, you know, and setting up a, a you know free trial store. Those people don't do well because they're not committed. Right, right. Now we and most people just send an email. To be honest, we usually get an email, and uh, it's I had this conversation with my business partner a couple of months ago. We 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 considered not even replying anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't show a lot of effort. And those people, to be honest, almost 100% of the time don't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't make any sales. Most of them will throw up a store, but mm-hmm. there's minimal effort and there are no sales. So from the supplier side, if somebody like you would call, have a conversation, um, yeah, that, that would be huge. Yeah, so you heard it direct from not only myself, but also Phil, the actual <laughs> owner of a, <laughs> you know, of, of a store, call. Don't, you know, stop Stop taking shortcuts, put in the effort. You have to treat it as a real business. So imagine if you were to start a physical location brick and mortar store that sold hammocks, you'd still have to go through the same process. You'd still have to call a supplier and say, hey, can I sell your products? You know, what's your wholesale price? You know, can I open a wholesale account with you? And I guarantee that if you're spending the money to build a store, you wouldn't just send one email and give up. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't be lazy, I think is the message. Yeah, and you know, it's... These are legitimate stores because I mean, I mean, how much how much revenue are you guys selling per month? It depends on the month, but we're we're doing over. Uh, well, we're going to do over with all of the stores combined. We're going to do over a half million this year. See, and if that's insane, if you think about it, that it's a it's a website, right? You know, without a you know without having your own warehouses or even an office anymore you guys are still making selling a half a million a year of hammocks which is insane to think about yeah, i feel we're just getting started there, there's a lot of room most people think hammocks okay you're topped out uh-huh. that not even close really there's so many things i could and should be doing that i'm not doing i'm, I'm excited for this and so if you were okay so let's say you didn't have these websites you weren't online and you were a a store in ottawa <laughs> and you were selling hammocks do you think that you can you can do half a million in, in revenue? I would listen to this podcast and I would change my business strategy overnight. You really would. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I look at these. There's nothing wrong with stores. I, we all like them. We all shop there. But boy, that that's a difficult model um, w- with many disadvantages versus what we're doing these days, isn't it? Because I mean, so let's say you had a physical store. All right. First off, how much would your rent be per month? Oh, jeez. If you're if you're in Canada, are you? I think you're from San Francisco San, yeah. with in, insane rents. Right there, the overhead is what a, a couple of grand a month, right yep. off the bat, at least. Yep. And then you'd have to have a couple of employees, right? Yep. And, and you have a lot of headaches right there. Yep. You'd have to have furniture and displays, and I don't know. I mean, what? I mean, you'd have to have a lot of stuff. Uh, you'd have to have so many things. It's just to me. To me, it's a nightmare. I want to make the most amount of money possible for the least amount of effort required, mm-hmm. and and I think. That, that is online, uh, you know. I, li- I like it a lot. So it's been really cool having you on the store on this podcast. Uh, if someone wants to buy a hammock, and you know these are very cool hammocks. I I personally 
have am a huge fan of hammocks. When I lived in Phuket, uh, Anacolanta, and Anacotal, so basically on all the islands I've lived at, I've always, always had a hammock. And I always told myself, I said, you know what, why don't people have hammocks in their backyard? And if I lived even back in San Francisco, I would absolutely own a hammock just because it's, it's almost like a little escape where, you know, if you want to read a book, if you want to just chill out for a while, like just hang it, you know, on a tree or, you know, on a stand, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's really no reason not to have a hammock. So if you guys want to buy one, where can they get one? Uh, so you can, um, if you're in Canada, so hammockuniverse.com is our Canadian site. And if you're in the U.S., then we ship from the U.S. at hammockuniverseusa.com. We have a French site as well, but I don't think you have a lot of French people listening to your podcast, so I'm, I'm not going to plug that site. Okay, very cool. Now, what I'll do is I'll have links to all of this on episode 59 under the show notes of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, any other way to keep in touch with you? Twitter? Uh, yeah, we have uh, at Hammock Universe is our, is our Twitter. Okay. Uh, same on uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page as well, so uh, they, anybody could contact us through those mediums as well. Okay, cool. And if you guys ever come out to Chiang Mai, we're all out here hanging out. So be in touch, guys. Uh, make sure you read the book, Life Changes Quick. <laughs> and nice I'll plug. see you guys next week. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.